This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal. I'm joined today by the spectators, Kate Andrews, and former number 10 aide, John McTernan. Now, Kate, the big news today has been reports. We're expecting later today uh, for Labour to officially kill off, announce the 28 billion Green New Deal. Tell us what we know right now. Well, we are expecting Kiyostama to stand up and get rid of, ditch, toss out that 28 billion headline figure for green investment. The Labour Party, we think, will continue to commit to its green prosperity plan, but this 28 billion figure of investment was the main policy within that plan. So this is a, a major U-turn, and it's not your average major U-turn either. The There's several difficult things here for the Labour Party, one being that this has really been the crux of their public policy. This has been the centerpiece. This has been the big promise. We know that part of Labour's strategy has been to avoid making promises in the lead up to a general election. It's much easier to defend yourself if you don't have much to defend. It's it's quite a smart political strategy when people aren't asking the big questions. But it has put more weight on what they have announced. For example, the fact that they'll put VAT onto school fees. But this 28 billion figure is probably the biggest thing they've announced. So for them to be U-turning on one of their only promises really feels as if the party is is finding itself sort of lost in what's going to be less than a year out from a general election. If, if this isn't what the Labour Party stands for, what does it stand for? We don't have a lot of other promises to go off of. John, why now? I think the desire to ditch the policy has been around at the top of the party for a while for the reasons that Kay, Kay outlined, uh, which is that it's a big number, which makes it a big target. And the strategy for at least 18 months has been to be a small target uh, party going to the election Offering change, modest change, small change, symbolic change, switches of tax into spending and really focus on that and to channel the anger. And look, I get it that part of the public just just want an exorcism. They want shot of, you know, out demons out is what they want to see. But I also feel there's a lot of the public and and a lot of the party, and I include myself in this, the Labour Party, who think we're coming to a crux of some huge decisions to make. And at the core of it is decarbonising the economy. No one doubts or contests that that has to happen. The question is, will Britain do it quickly and competitively in global terms? Will Britain do it fairly uh, in terms of the country? Will Britain do it competently? And I think the government failed the test of competence, failed the test of fairness, and probably because of the lack of competence, failed the test of speed, particularly since uh, Uxbridge by-election last year. So there's something big here that has to happen And by owning it, Labour claim a stake in the future. Progressive parties need to have a vision of the future. And without this, yes, of course, the green ambitions stay. So I'm hoping that the announcement says we'll have GB Energy, we'll have the Wealth Fund, we'll have the Warm Homes. So the elements of it. But if I'd been going to change the policy, I'd have changed it the day that Liz Truss resigned Mm. in October 2022. And I'd have said... We wanted to do this at this speed, at this scale. We can't because the economy's been blown up. Can you imagine if that had been a Labour budget? We'd never heard the last of it from George Osborne. And the <laughs> fact that that budget, and it's almost like Labour's accepted, like Rishi Sunak argues, 
he's a new prime minister with a new government. We've not managed to attach that government to the trust government, to Rishi's government. So I kind of think there was a move quick back then. And at the core of this, what you know is Keir Starmer's own personal politics are a red-green politics. He's like Ed Miliband. He's not a Blairite. I'm a Blairite. I know a Blairite. I want to see one. <laughs> um, he's much he's much closer mm. to that soft left of the party, which does have a green tinge. I think correctly has a green tinge. And some of the, the, the way this has been conducted in private and briefing, it would have been better to actually have an open debate between the Parliament and Par- Labour Party's wings. Have it more openly so people expose the thinking as it is. This briefing war is stretching on for weeks. I think it's been damaging for Labour to make it look like it's drifting and doesn't have a purpose. And in the end, people vote for change from something to something else. So the thing that Keir needs to do this evening in his announcement and later in the campaign, show what Labour means in terms of a change proposition. Mm. So do you think there's questions to ask John on Keir Starmer's judgment in all of this? Because it does seem this is very much top-down. This wasn't kind of more junior race. This is very much on him. Look, the the fundamental metrics by which you judge a leader, Keir's a political genius. He took a party after its worst defeat since the 1930s, and it's now 20 points ahead in the polls. It's been ahead in the polls for over 800 days. Uh, since Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister, he's never got the Tories over 30% in the polls. Labour have never been below 40%. So the fundamental performance statistics, you know, it's a superstar performance. What there is, is you see a style of leadership, mm. which is I don't think that Keir says, I think this, I'm in charge, we're doing this. He's got a more discursive thing. I, when I hear reports of the Shadow Cabinet, it's much more, it's open. It's like, okay, what are we going to decide on this? And in a way, that's really unpolitical because we've all grown up with leaders, whether it's Margaret Thatcher or Tony Blair. They know their mind and they go, we're going there. Why? Well, I'm telling you to go there. Can you work out how we get there? Whereas Keir is this much more, and in one sense, that's what the mission-driven government, his whole feeling is, mm. I'm going to involve it. How are we going to get there together? And that is really frustrating for people like myself steeped in traditional politics, where it's like, I I like to be told. Um, And I think lobby journalists like leaders who tell, because then we can write about it. This strange kind of discursive ambiguity, it's like, what? But we're going to get used to it, because if he's prime minister, I think he will be, this will be the way he runs things. Mm -hmm. A A slower pace, more discursive, but maybe when it comes to it, you know, it's more stick to itness. And I've been speaking to businesses recently, and what they want is stability more than anything else. And like, okay, if we're going to do war homes, let's do it. If we're going to do uh, the wealth fund, let's do it. If we're going to GB Energy, let's know the details. Then we, as energy companies, can work with that. Kate, where do you see this debate going? Because already there's some reports that now the Conservatives are going to turn their guns on the 2030 target next. So do you see it not just about this 28 billion figure moving on to other issues and other policies as well? Oh, well, it almost certainly will. I mean, the Tories have lost the gift of the 28 billion figure, but they've gained the gift of Labour U-turning in the first place. So there will be more attack lines of that nature. That 2030 target, you know, 
it's not just people on the right. People on the left, like Gary Smith, um, head of the GMB, have said that, that is an unrealistic target, that you simply, the timeline is too short to electrify the grid, that a lot of labor's very big promises on going green, whilst ambitious, and we don't want to deny ambition, perhaps have just been a little bit too eager. So it's it's very likely, especially what we, we saw when Rishi Sunak watered down some of those targets for net zero. And it was probably the only time in the past year where he's got a slight bump, a slight positive response. You could absolutely see the Tory party continuing to go after the Labour Party's green agenda. But now it won't just be what the agenda is. It will be, can you believe them? And I think that this is going to also bring up a lot of questions around business investment. Mm -hmm. So Labour Party has been wooing business and business has been wooing the Labour Party for the past few years because they see which... Uh, direction the wind is blowing and and they want to be friendly with who they think is going to be governing the country. And when the Labour Party makes pledges around, say, corporation tax, the question mark is going to be, can you believe it? Will they U-turn? And look, you can level the accusations against the Tory party about U-turns as well. Uh, It's just that for a a Labour Party that has been so cautious about over-promising itself, this is a, a real hiccup. For what it's worth, I, I, I think the, the right decision has been made. I think the shadow chief secretary to the Treasury, Darren Jones, I think his argument has won the day, which is we, we really can't afford this right now. Rachel Reeves made this pledge back in September 2021. By the time we get to November 2021, the inflation rate was already double the bank's target. And I think I wouldn't want to let labor off the hook here, but most people called inflation wrong. You know, they thought that was going to be a blip. They didn't think interest rates were going to rise. Did the Liz Trust phenomenon make the situation worse? Yes. But even when, and I take your point about timing, John, I mean, labor should have absolutely pegged any U-turn they wanted to make to those 49 days, and they didn't. But even without any kind of Liz Trust premiership, interest rates were rising world over. This was probably always going to be an unsustainable promise, not least when you consider everything else labor wants to do. The fact that there's going to be so much pressure on them to address departmental spending and catching that up with inflation. You know, they're talking about NHS reform, but all in the context of more money and more reform. So if you think you might have to spend money elsewhere, I mean, if I were the Labour Party, and now we're looking at the estimates that Jeremy Hunt has for his fiscal headroom in the March budget, I would not be happy. I would not be optimistic about what I might be able to do were I in the Treasury. So, you know, I think they've probably made a call that in the long term, if they were to govern, is, 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 is going to help them because they won't be held to that $28 billion figure. But in the run-up to a general election, as I said, when you've, when you've really committed to only a few pledges, we still – we have so many outstanding questions about what the party, 20-plus points ahead in the polls, would do. I wouldn't be surprised if you now saw those questions ramp up. Well, if it's not going to be $28 billion for – green investment, what is it going to be? What do you stand for? You're so far ahead in the polls, voters might like to know. Yes, John, now that the debate has been sort of settled on this question, what do you think Labour's big themes are really going to be other than the fact that they're not the Tories? To my mind, that's quite a winning o- offer. That is the argument. But to build on what Kate was saying, there are elections, and this is one of them, which represent uh, a tidal change in public opinion. Mm-hmm. Callahan's observation about Margaret Thatcher was right. Margaret Thatcher didn't say very much about what she was going to do, but if you look back and read the right approach, you actually knew what she'd do yeah. about everything. And in a way, 
we don't take seriously enough mission-driven government because it is the end of neoliberalism, it is the end of marketization of public services that has run to an end. And I don't think Labour, in a way, takes seriously enough their own central mission. That it will look back on this Labour government and go, he really, he really meant it. One of the things about Keir is he doesn't narrate his politics. He doesn't brief. He's not got court journalists who do columns to explain what Keir's really thinking. He just acts. He does. I mean, none of it's very funny shadow cabinet. They've not got loads of people out there being there, mm-hmm. people who are marking them out there. So I think the worry that I have is it's not just that a change election needs a change proposition. It is the scale of things that Labour has to do. So to build on what Kate was saying, by 2030, Treasury will have will be losing £18 billion a year in fuel duty because people will be driving EVs. You can't afford to lose £18 billion of revenue from the base we have now. That means Labour is going to have to open a debate about how you replace that. So is it some form of extra VAT on the electricity which you charge EVs, some tax on charging vehicles, or is it a road charging? What is it you bring in? Is it a flat rate tax? How do you bring that? Now, you have to bring the money in, so you need to have a debate about it, which for me takes you back to big things are going to be required on local taxation to refund local government, big and and social care. Big things are going to be needed uh, on, on road tax to big big transfers, raising money, redistributing it, all the noise around that. You need a mandate for those kinds of changes and you need people to know you're going to do that kind of thing. And I've, I've seen an article today by Robert Shimsey in the Financial Times. They said, you don't need to have a, a manifesto to get a mandate for change. You just have the landslide and then you change things. I think that is old-fashioned thinking. People stay on at school till 18. Half the people in the country go to university. They're all well-informed through all the podcasts, the Great Spectator podcast, all all the material that's around there to inform you about politics. People want to be part of the conversation. And the smaller the target you create winning your election, the larger the number of questions about what the change, how the change, who the change, or as Lenin used to say, who whom. The fundamental political question. And if Labour doesn't socialise some of the choices, doesn't socialise its principles, doesn't socialise the way it's going to work, then I think you hit, you, you, you hit the road, you hit more obstacles more quickly in government. And I think we've got a volatile electorate out there, an electorate who don't believe and don't hope for change. Labour was going to have to make change but it's got to create a sense of hope as well. And I think that the danger is what's lost in all this among everybody, the hope that politics can change things. And you can see around the Tory party, the fight over who can articulate a hope for conservatism or a hope for the right of, of, the, of the country, which is a proper tradition in politics. What's the hope for progressive politics? And I think that it's very, it's kind of evanescent, but I think it's a real issue in this. Mm. Thank you, John. Thank you, Kate. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.